When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Prediction Tuesday. Welcome into the Hard Count, the People's College Football Show. If you're new here, every single Tuesday during the wonderful thing that is the college football season, we give you our picks for this weekend slate and this slate, man. It's a good one. We love rivalries around here. Rivalry Saturday is something that is sacred to us here, and we get a little bit of a, uh, a sneak peek at some of the college football rivalries that, that are coming up. Sneak peek's the wrong word. We get a little appetizer because we love and admire and respect every single rivalry in college football, but we especially appreciate Red River and the fact that they play their game a little bit earlier in the year. We get this rivalry in October. We'll give you our pick for that one. It is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023, the last one in history. We're about to make it a great one. You got a lot of things going on, all right? Hey, I understand. Life is hectic. Life is busy. You got a lot going on at work. You got a lot going on with the kids. Maybe you're at school. We got a, a pretty solid student audience from high school to college. Like we have a lot of y'all tuned in. School's kind of ramping up now. You got midterms, you got tests, like all that is, is great. We, we understand that, but you go ahead and push that off to the side for a second because right now it's college football and only college football for about the next hour or so. So kick them up, make sure you're subscribed right here so you don't miss anything that we got going on. Like I said, a ton of predictions for you on this wonderful thing that is Prediction Tuesday. I already said we're going to get your Red River here in just a few minutes. Also, Alabama going to Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher and company. There's a, I don't think signs of life is the right way to talk about A&M right now because they've been rolling a little bit since that Miami loss, but if they beat or if they beat Alabama, like Jimbo Fisher is all the way back. You're talking about what he's going to be at A&M for years to come and all that talk around how hot his seat is and all the buyout conversation that gets dialed back quite a bit. But also Alabama now, they're starting to look a little bit more like the Alabama we thought they would going into the season. That'll be a great matchup. Remember how that one has gone the last couple of years. Very, very difficult to get a gauge for how that one's going to turn out, but we're going to do our best for you on this Prediction Tuesday. Georgia has Kentucky coming to town for a night game in Athens, Georgia. Now, this game has a lot more juice this week than it did last week, strictly because of the fact that Kentucky handled, I mean, straight up manhandled Florida in Lexington. Ray Davis, I think he probably is still running for touchdowns against that Florida defense if they were playing today. And that's a testament to Kentucky's offensive line, a testament to Liam Cohen. And Devin Leary hasn't even really started cooking yet. So now they're going to Athens and playing a Georgia team. And Georgia, hey, now, they, they found a way to win. Found a way to win in Jordan-Hare. That's a rivalry game as well against Auburn. Carson Beck kind of got it rolling. Brock Bowers is a freak show. But they looked a little bit human in that rivalry game. Showed some signs of mortality, did Georgia. So now... You got a clash in the SEC East that's going to, I think, have a pretty big impact on what happens when it comes to that game in Atlanta. So that'll be a lot of fun. We'll predict that one. And Notre Dame, man, God bless Notre Dame. No pun intended. God bless Notre Dame because they had Ohio State. Draining game. Came down to the very last play. You lose that game. Then you go play Duke. College game day. Another big spotlight. 
That one comes down to essentially the final play, more or less. You say, great, now we got Louisville. Or Louisville, actually, you got to go to Louisville, and Louisville's ranked. So Notre Dame now, the marathon continues. Rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle. And I mean, I'm excited to watch what they do in this one because I'm curious to see where the emotional stamina is at for Notre Dame because Louisville now, they, they, they could beat Notre Dame. Like, I'll just make sure we say that at the top of the show. They could very well beat Notre Dame if Notre Dame does not bring their A game to the table. Got a lot to talk about. Got a lot to dive into. Can't waste too much more time. Again, make sure you're subscribed right here. College football, only college football, every single day of the week, live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, at this very time, 11 a.m. Eastern. We're glad to have you all here. Hey, let's jump right into it, baby. Let's jump right into it. This is, this is a game that we actually got asked about even in the offseason. Like, even we were doing our live chat and our live shows during the offseason, we go to the end of our live show and we're saying, hey, what, what do y'all want to talk about? We want to hear from y'all. We want to hear from the people of the program. We open it up at the end of every single show and ask for questions. And we got asked, hey, who, who you got in Red River? I'm like, brother, it's March. I, <laughs> I don't know. Who do you got in Red River? I'm, I mean, we, we got a ways to go here. We haven't even hit spring ball just yet. And so finally now, the time has come for us to pick a winner for Texas, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma, Texas, whichever side you want to say first. No, no, uh, no judgment here, but it is Red River. It is 12 Eastern on ABC. Texas favored by six and a half. And for Texas now, you look at the rest of their schedule. And not to say there's not still losable games on Texas's schedule past this one. You still got Kansas State. You still got TCU. Like, there's still some games for Texas that could present some issues. But from a strictly rostered talent level for Texas, this is the last hurdle you look at and say, okay, they're probably in our arena from a roster talent perspective. Like they got some dudes now that match up more or less equivalent to our dudes. Now, I'm not saying that they're exactly the same. They're built differently, and we'll talk about that. But Texas now, if you were to win this game, you look at the rest of your slate and you say, okay, boys, hey, handle business. We'll get the Jerry World probably have a chance to punch our ticket to the college football playoff in that game and you start to think bigger you start to think about hardware and, and that that's the thing that Texas has earned now by the way they've played to this point in the season now if they lose this game we talked about it on our one-off video yesterday on this very channel a lot of volume gets turned up about hey old Texas they beat Bama but they couldn't beat OU and Oklahoma, man, they beat them 49-0 last year, and Texas came into this game, and they were cocky, and they have bad culture, and they have this, and they have that. Like, all those narratives would start to bubble back up. People that have been waiting to say those things, they would then get the microphone and start to say those things to you and me. Now, is it true? I think one game, it's a stretch to make any definitive statement about either team. But understand, that's what people would put out there for clicks and for headlines and all that. So that's out there, but a huge opportunity for Texas in this game. Now, for Oklahoma... I said it on my Twitter page the other day. Oklahoma has been the quietest ranked team in the country, and they love it that way. When I tweeted it out, I had a myriad of Oklahoma fans get in my mentions and say, J.D., chill out. Hey, it's quiet for a reason. We, we want it to be quiet. Don't sound the alarm just yet, brother. We got Red River next week. We'll be on everybody's radar if we do what we think we can do in Red River. So just, hey, we appreciate that. Turn the volume down. And we'll, uh, we'll let our paths do the talking, to quote Dan Lanning. They have a chance now to inject a ton of new belief into what Brent Venables is doing there. And so much of last year was 
kind of predicated on punchline culture when you talked about Oklahoma. And when I say punchline culture, we live in a day and age where the internet and memes and having tweets that are pithy and, and intelligent and funny, like that was a lot of what you saw when you looked up Oklahoma on different social media accounts. It was a lot of talk around, well, they went six and seven. Well, well, Brent Venables isn't Lincoln Riley. Well, they have all this talent. They can't do anything with it. And like some of that is fair. Some of that I think is a little bit misplaced because of how many close games they played. But if you beat Texas in this game, based on what Texas has done to this point in the season with them beating Alabama, like you start to puff out your chest a little bit more if you're a Sooner fan. You start to feel like, okay, hey, this is a team now that is capable of doing what we thought it could do last year. There was talk around the college football playoff last year for Oklahoma. There was talk around the Big 12 title last year for Oklahoma. It didn't turn out that way. This year now, you beat Texas, you warrant a lot more of that conversation. And I'll just say this, if you beat Texas, I think you catapult yourself directly into the college football playoff conversation. I don't shy away from saying that. So this will be a lot of fun to watch. Cannot wait to break it down really quickly. For, the, for those of y'all that are tuned in live, and for those of y'all that are watching this as a one-off video, one, make sure you're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel. College football every single day. Had a lot of Texas, Texas fans join the channel. Had a lot of OU fans join the channel. We're glad to have y'all here. Get your friends to subscribe right here and to be a part of the program. We appreciate y'all in advance for that. So what does this game come down to, right? To me, football is a game of matchups. And the probably major matchup I'm watching within this game is the aggression of the Oklahoma defense against the poise of Quinn Ewers. Because Oklahoma, they have one speed on defense, baby, and it is all out. It's not all gas, no breaks. That's Texas' thing, but that's kind of the same way that Oklahoma wants to play defense to a degree. They want to wreak havoc. They want to get in your face. They want to force negative plays. It's not a defense where you just sit back there and say, all right, we'll let it come to you. We'll keep it all in front of us. That's not how Oklahoma gets down. And so when you do that, there are two things that can happen. The first is what you want to happen if you're Oklahoma. You wreak havoc. You create turnovers. Right now, Oklahoma is number 10 in the country with right around two and a half takeaways per game. That's really good. They would like to have right around that number in this game, I promise you. Now, the second thing that's possible when you play such an aggressive defense, you leave yourself exposed. Hey, you want to blitz an extra linebacker? Well, there's probably a zone behind him that's open to throw to. You want to blitz your safety? Well, that's some real estate behind him. So you kind of have to play a little bit of riverboat gambler here if you're Oklahoma with this defensive approach. And so what I was talking about before with Quinn Ewers, you have to be extremely poised in this situation. Because if you're not, Oklahoma has proven they will turn you over, they will create more possessions for their offense, and they will have a chance to get some leverage on you in this game if you're Texas. Going back to Quinn Ewers, if you're poised, you can diagnose it, and you can handle the havoc, and you can understand what you're looking at quickly, and get the ball to your playmakers, well, then some big plays are going to start to happen. Then Xavier Worthy gets to pop. Then Adonai Mitchell has another big week. Then the run game can also open up because you're taking advantage and checking to the right play and being able to sort of use some jujitsu here. You're able to just kind of take the flow of the Oklahoma defense, use it against them. Big play happens the other way. That's possible for Texas. But again, if they don't diagnose it, if they're not on their P's and Q's and Quinn Ewers cannot handle that extra aggression that Oklahoma brings to the table, like I said, there will be turnovers, there'll be negative plays, and Texas will have to find themselves into climb back mode in this kind of game. You'd like to avoid that if you're Texas, if you're Oklahoma, that's the world you want to live in, baby. So that's the first matchup I'm watching. Now on the other side of things, for Dylan Gabriel now, 
Him and the Oklahoma wide receiving core, I think, have a tremendous task in front of them. And that task is going to be against this box of, of Texas. Like the, the linebackers and the defensive line of Texas, they're really stout up front. And Oklahoma, as an entire operation, they are predicated on running the football. It's not the only thing they want to do, but it's one of the bread and butter elements to their offense. Like it's kind of what everything stems from. They want to run the football. They want to go with tempo. They want to have small gains and eventually get into rhythm and create big plays. And a lot of those small gains come in the run game. I don't know that that will be as available in this game for Oklahoma. I think for Oklahoma, going back to this matchup, it's going to be on this receiving core and Dylan Gabriel to be able to soften up the box with the intermediate pass game. Like those routes that are right around 10 to 12 yards and maybe even a little bit less to just get the, the Texas defense running a little bit, to get them off balance, to, to cause them to respect that pass game. Because if you get that going a little bit, then those linebackers are a little bit more slow to trigger. Maybe their depth is a little bit differently. Maybe those safeties have to play back just a little bit. Like overall, you just kind of mellow out the Texas defense and then you can run the football. You get some more gains that way. Go back to that intermediate pass game, get some gains that way. And before you know it, once they respect that element of your offense, once they understand like, hey, they are going to just dink and dunk if we allow them to, then those big plays open up. Then there's some more money on the table to be had if you're dealing Gabriel. Now, I think the subplot within this is the perimeter pass game. And when I say perimeter pass game, I'm talking a motion from your slot receiver, you're throwing the bubble. I'm talking a motion behind the quarterback from the running back, you're throwing that swing pass where it's just essentially an extended handoff and you're getting downhill. That's going to be something that, again, going back to the flow of the defense, you want to mess with Texas and have them go sideline to sideline and run back and forth. And before you know it, you can dial up the fake bubble go to Angela Anthony or whoever you want to talk about there. But I think Angela Anthony especially whether it's the perimeter pass game, whether it's the deep pass game, I think he will have a very large role in this offensive attack for Oklahoma in this game. I think he's an explosive play waiting to happen. I think you want to get the ball in his hands early and often. He needs to impact this game if I'm Jeff Levy, if I'm Dylan Gabriel, get the ball to five. All right, that could be, that could be a game plan for you. Get the ball to five, let him work, let him impact this game. All right. Now, at the end of the day here, I think we will have a good old-fashioned battle up front, especially when Texas has the football. I think that's one of the keys to this game, physical on physical, how you go big on big. Like That's kind of going to be a big ingredient for this game, especially if you're Texas. And the key for Oklahoma here, how honest can you play Texas in the trenches? How honest are you able to play them? And when I say honest, I mean, do you have to commit extra resources? Do you have to bring in another linebacker? Do you have to bring a safety down? What do we have to do defensively to stop that run game of Texas? Because we saw last week, man, they, they are content to just lean on people. Like Kansas was not able to match the physicality of Texas, and Texas ran for over 300 yards, and Jonathan Brooks had 10 yards of carry and 200 yards. Like that was how they got down. That was how they won. And when they were able to operate that way, it lent itself to some balance. Once they ran the ball that way, they could then throw the ball over Kansas's head. Is that the way that Oklahoma plays them? Are they able to have something on first down and, are, and able to you know, force an obvious passing situation? Or is it a thing where Texas is able to live in second and six, third and three, because of what they get in the backfield, because of what they get from that offensive line? That's going to be crucial, going to be crucial. Because if Oklahoma can withstand that, then you can pay some more attention 
to the playmakers of Texas? Because that's really what makes you nervous, I think, if you're Oklahoma. You've seen the tape of Bama. You've seen the tape of everyone else Texas has played where Xavier Worthy's going deep. Adonai Mitchell's going deep. And they're just exposing big chunk plays, six points real quick. If you're able to play honest in that front seven, then you're able to have more attention on those big plays, on those playmakers that Texas has as a whole. That can really make things difficult for you if they're able to get theirs. So I think answering scores in this game is going to be huge. Like, I think, I think that may be the biggest part of this entire game for either side. If Texas gets seven, Oklahoma can't go get three. It's got to be seven. And it's got to be a quick seven. It can't be, okay, well, two, two drives later, they get seven. I, I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. I think Oklahoma's going to score a lot of points, to be real with y'all. I don't think this is a situation where we, we look at the box score and say, man, Texas just shut down Oklahoma. Jeff Levy, I think him and Dylan Gabriel are far enough along in their relationship together from a quarterback to OC standpoint to where they're able to, I think, maybe put more in in this game and be a little bit more dynamic and, and show some things they haven't shown before yet on tape they can surprise Texas with. But I think Texas in the trenches is just different this year. We got to see them up close and personal in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And they, at the end of the game, were the team that was imposing their will on the SEC front seven. They were the team that was just taking the air out of the football game and holding it. And they probably could have scored again at the end of that game. So with that being said, I think the offensive and defensive line of Texas are the difference in this game. I think the aggression of Oklahoma defensively pays dividends to a degree. But in the second half, I think Quinn Ewers and company are able to expose some things that this aggressive defense is going to try and do and just kind of get caught in. I think Texas ends up winning this game. I think the final score is 35-27. to 27. And for Texas, what that would mean now, again, you kind of clear that last hurdle, looking at the rest of your schedule and saying, all right, boys, a lot of games that are still losable, but all games that they will be favored in, all games that they have the roster to go and take care of business in. And if you're Oklahoma, you don't define Brent Venables by this game. Obviously, the way they look is going to be important for you know, morale in Oklahoma, but I don't think you just say, okay, th this is what Oklahoma is. Brent Venables isn't the guy. Like, no, it's not the case. You shouldn't feel like you have to build at Oklahoma. That shouldn't be the feeling you have if you're a fan. But I think what Brent Venables is doing there right now is the right things. I think they're made of the right stuff. I think he's recruiting at an elite, at an elite level as a whole with how he's built Oklahoma to this point. So again, we have Texas winning. I think it's a great game think the firepower of Texas and the, the trench play of Texas ultimately ends up being the difference. But I'm telling you, man, the last time in the Big 12 for both those schools, it'll be an SEC matchup now going forward. Crazy, crazy. Greg Sankey's going to be there. Sounds like Brett Yormark will not be there. Um, yeah, a lot of storylines, a lot of juice, a lot of emotion in that one. College football rivalries, man. Gotta love it. You absolutely have to love it. Again, appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. If you could like the video, subscribe to the channel, that would be enormous for us. We appreciate you for that. Just helps, helps move the program forward. All right, so we thank you for that. So as we always do on Tuesday, let's get a quick recap of prize picks. We got some more predictions to make, though. Going to talk about Bama A&M. Going to talk about Kentucky, Georgia, Notre Dame, Louisville. I want to recap our trip to Knoxville with y'all. We didn't really do that just yet. I want to give you all a, a quick uh, synopsis of our experience there because I've had a lot, had a lot of y'all reach out to me and ask about that. To recap really quickly, prize picks, good, not great for us, okay? 
Brock Bowers, more than half a touchdown, receiving or rushing. That hit. Bo Collins, he hadn't gone for more than 51 and a half receiving yards against a Power 5 team this season. And we love this for Bo Collins. The more is what happened there. We had the less. He went for 63. We root for Bo Collins. We root for good things to happen to good people on this show. We make no apologies about that. But if you tailed us there, we apologize. Bo Collins did something we did not think he would do by nature of our prize picks. Marshawn Lloyd, he could have had 200 yards rushing if they had decided to run the football that way at USC. Wasn't the way the game played out. His more was 92 and a half rush yards. He ran for 84. Again, we had the more there. He ran for 84. That did not hit. Will Shipley, more than a half rushing touchdown. That hit. Jaden Daniels, more than a half rushing touchdown. That also hit. Just going back to the well there. Those are good squares going forward if we find them. Then KJ Jefferson, one and a half passing touchdowns. We had the more. Again, we root for good things to happen to good people. We don't apologize for that on this show. Okay, we, we root for points, root for scores, root for these guys to make big plays in college football games. Not sorry about any of that. With that being said, he did not have more than one and a half passing touchdowns. He had one. So it is what it is. Regroup, circle the wagons. We ride again this week. All right, we'll give out our prize picks again this coming Thursday. So let's dial in. Let's have a good time. Let's keep the good times rolling. Speaking of good times rolling, man, Alabama. Two and a half point favorite heading to College Station, Texas to play Texas saying in them. 3.30 Eastern on CBS, Alabama is starting to take shape, it feels like, as a whole. Like, you, you, you kind of feel like they're starting to round into what we thought they might be earlier in the season. Now, it hasn't always looked the prettiest, but that's okay. They're starting to find their footing. I think that's dangerous. They're starting to get off the ropes just a little bit as Nick Saban and company took care of business against Mississippi State. Texas A&M now, they're starting to steady themselves. Had that loss to Miami where Tyler Van Dyke just put up road to glory numbers. It is what it is. But they've had, like I said, they've steadied themselves. They've, they've strung together some, some good performances now. They beat Auburn. They beat Arkansas. Starting to kind of steady themselves. And I'll just say this too. If, if A&M and Jimbo Fisher are able to beat Alabama, able to beat Alabama without Connor Wegman, Max Johnson I think is a starting caliber kind of quarterback but even so like he's your backup quarterback so you beat Nick Saban with a backup quarterback Jimbo Fisher's all the way back baby like I understand we're probably hyping this up just a little bit too much in terms of what it could mean for A&M but think about what you could say then if you're Jimbo Fisher and going into this offseason the conversation around you like hey we beat Bama chew on that for a little bit I think that would be a a tough thing to get around if you're a Jimbo Fisher hater that would be a nice little ace in the, in the pocket if you're Jimbo Fisher. So a lot to break down in this one. The matchup for me is the Alabama secondary versus Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino, well-documented, the offensive coordinator for a and We've seen new life from this a and offense with him now calling the shots. And the thing that I'm really watching within this matchup is how creative a and is able to be against this Alabama secondary. Because we've seen Alabama now a couple of times have two different sample sizes when the OCs try and get creative and try and dial it up against them. We saw Texas get creative and score a lot of points and have their way against this Alabama secondary. They're shifting, they're motioning. Alabama can't get a line to it. Big plays are happening downfield for Quinn Ewers and company. They had troubles with that. Now, Ole Miss tried to do the exact same thing to Alabama and they played much better against it. So now 
in this situation for Bobby Petrino and for Max Johnson, they are going to try and dial it up. Make no mistake about it. They will try and get as creative as possible. They will bring out different formations and different plays that they have not yet shown on tape. I guarantee that it will do a couple of things for them in that spot if they're able to manipulate Alabama's secondary with those things I was talking about. Pre-snap motions, formations, shifts, whatever it ends up being. One, it helps your quarterback. Right, Max Johnson then gets to play a step ahead of that Alabama secondary. If they're trying to get a line because we motioned Evan Stewart out to a position they haven't seen him at before or we're in a different personnel grouping, like if they're in catch-up mode and Max Johnson is able to play with them trying to be in catch-up mode, then guys are going to be open. You can read the field much more easily. Good things happen for AM's offense. On top of that, you get the ball to your playmakers likely with some space to work with. And if you give these playmakers for, for A&M some space to work with, like at that point, you're cooking with grease. Because Anaya Smith, dangerous in space. Evan Stewart, dangerous in space. Moose Muhammad, dangerous in space. So they got a lot of guys that if you give them some wiggle room, they can make some good things happen. And I promise you, they would like to live that way. Think about how Texas did this with Xavier Worthy. They were finding ways to get him the football, whether it was perimeter pass game, whether it was motioning, motioning him out and getting a matchup they liked. A&M has a lot of playmakers that they want to feed the football to in that capacity. So that'll be a big part of it. Third part of that, you're able to keep Alabama guessing, which kind of goes hand in hand with what I said about Max Johnson being able to play a step ahead. But if you can keep Alabama guessing, that keeps the whole playbook open to you. And you're probably living in, like I was talking about with a different breakdown we just did with Texas, Oklahoma, you get to live in second and five, get to live in third and three. And at that point, you can't key on, oh, okay, this obvious passing situation. Oh, okay, they're definitely going to run the football here. At, at that point, like, you're able to, or I guess, I guess I should say, you're definitely passing the football here if it's an obvious passing situation. You can run the football on third and three. You can throw the football on third and three. That's kind of the situation that I think A&M wants to be able to live in and can live in if they're able to play ahead and Bobby Petrino is able to manipulate this Alabama secondary. Now, if they can't do that, here's the problem. At that point everything becomes a little bit more of an even playing field. And I think Texas A&M's personnel offensively, there's some matchups you like for sure. But I think just across the board, you don't want to have to play straight up against Alabama. Like you don't want it to be, hey, you know what we're doing? We know what we're doing. May the best team win. Like, I don't think you lose 100% of those matchups, but I don't think that's the way that you want to feel after this game is, hey, we just, we play Bama straight up. You don't want to play Bama straight up. Nobody wants to play anybody straight up, much less one of the most talented rosters in college football in the Crimson Tide. So that's a big part of this. Other matchup I'm looking at, Jalen Milrow, the quarterback for Alabama, who's starting to kind of get his footing, kind of feels like his confidence is getting going. That third and second level of the A&M defense, how they try and, what's the right word, try and minimize his running ability is going to be crucial in this game. Because what Jalen Milrow does, as well as I think probably any other quarterback in the country, when he tucks it and runs, like he, he's not just a quarterback running the football. He is a problem getting downhill. It's a big body. He's extremely fast. We saw him turn several plays that would have been sacks against Texas into first downs. Like he's that kind of special when he tucks it and runs. And so for, for A&M, if you're able to limit the impact of that, if you're able to get home, if you're able to force him to throw it away, heck, maybe you're able to force him into throwing interceptions. One, 
you take away an explosive play threat for Alabama. Like, if you're able to address his running ability, whether it's quarterback design runs or broken plays, you have a spy on him or you have extra guys able to contain him, take away an explosive threat. Second, and this is maybe more important, you're able to have more attention on the other playmakers for Alabama, and that includes the running game of Alabama. You're able to just focus on the running back runs as opposed to having to worry about the quarterback runs, which I think is crucial, and you want to pay attention to that as well because that's a big part of Alabama's game. You make Jalen Milrow just a passer. And Jalen Milrow is a capable passer. I don't think he's a passer that scares you that he's just going to beat you with his arm. And so if you can make it more of a vanilla game in that sense, advantage A&M. Now, if you can't, it's like Pandora's box. <laughs> like if Jalen Milrow gets going in the run game, it's not just one problem for you that, oh, Jalen Milrow number four is, is kind of starting to stuff the uh, box score. He's starting to really put up some numbers. That's not good for us. Well, no, it, it's bad for a number of reasons because other things become available off of that. If Jalen Milrow can break contain and your secondary and your linebackers are worried about him taking off and, and getting a first down or more, and they start to get more aggressive, and they peel off their receiver quicker, somebody's open. Something in the pass game becomes more available to you. Alabama becomes more, more multiple in that sense. Also, the running game for Alabama, the read options start to scare you a little bit more if you're A&M. Then you can't just focus on the run game with Jace McClellan and whoever else they want to have tote the rock for them. Then you have to start paying attention to, okay, is, is it going to be Jalen Milrow? Is it Jason McClellan? Are we set? Do we have our assignment right? Are we reading this right? And if, if you can't manage that correctly more big plays happen. It sort of compounds on itself. So that's an issue that obviously A&M would like to minimize and Alabama would like to take advantage of. Now, here's the differentiator for me in this one. We said at the top of this breakdown, Bama's starting to round into more and more what I think we perceive them to be earlier in the season at SEC Media Days. And I think the big part of that is the offensive line starting to round into what we thought they might be Second half of Ole Miss, they were dominant. Played pretty dominant against Mississippi State. And in that situation, there's just no answer to it. No matter how you scheme it up, if you want to throw the kitchen sink at them, you can, but then big plays happen in the pass game. When Alabama up front gets it rolling, and the way they have it rolling right now, I think you're between a rock and a hard place if you're A&M. And so in this game... I think that could be the spot where, where Alabama gets to kind of play bully ball. I think they kind of have a confidence in an identity that's starting to build in Tuscaloosa. They've had some struggles early, but they kind of have their footing right now, which is frightening for anyone who has to play them right now. They're taking shape. And also, this is kind of a subplot. I think it's, I think it's a personal game for Jalen Milrow. He did not play well in this game last season. Did not. Period. Mike drop VN. He, he, he did not play a good game in this game last season. A lot of people used this game against him in the quarterback controversy or quarterback conversation rather around him from the outside looking in at least. And I think it probably was a situation where he had to atone and, and earn back some trust from this game last season to be the starting quarterback right now. I think Alabama is able to win this football game. I don't think it's a blowout. I mean, that two and a half number should tell you all we need to know about Alabama being favored by that much. I think A&M is going to give them some issues on a number of fronts, especially with that wide receiver room. I think they will get theirs to a degree. But I think at the end of the day, it's not perfect, but Alabama wins the football game 31-24. to 24. 
And just like I said a second ago, it, it isn't perfect yet for Alabama. I don't think this is a game where you say, okay, great, problem solved. But just like we said before Ole Miss, if Alabama wins that football game, great, survive in advance. You get another week to figure it out with your college football playoff hopes intact, SEC title hopes intact, and you're able to just continue to trend how you want to trend to be a different football team by November. If you're the same team from September to November, we got issues across the board. Doesn't matter what college football team you are, but Alabama, for how much talent they have on the roster, how much potential they have, you don't want them to get comfortable. You don't want them to find an identity. And I think they get closer to that in this football game and survive in advance to fight another week and another chance to achieve what they want to achieve that they set out for at the beginning of the season. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Make sure you're in for that one. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Make no mistake about it, man. Make no mistake about it. That's going to be a game. I mean, we didn't talk about Bama if they lose that game because we picked them to win. But if Alabama loses that game, we've said it a lot on here. Like, for me, I, I cannot buy that Bama is, quote unquote, dead until I see them with two losses. Like, I compare it a lot to whenever you see somebody die. I put this in air quotes for y'all listening on podcast. Whenever someone dies in a movie, if we don't see a body... If we don't see someone, like we don't see proof that that person is actually no longer a part of the script, they're not written out officially, I'm not buying it. And there was a lot of people after Texas writing Bama out of the script and saying, hey, they're done. Hey, one loss. Hey, they're going to have more losses. Well, I haven't seen a body just yet. I haven't seen a two-loss Bama lying there. Until we do, I'm not doing it. I'm not picking them to lose just yet. So Bama wins that football game and... uh I don't think there's too much noise in College Station with Jimbo Fisher. Still Nick Saban. Still Alabama. But uh, it doesn't help you. It's a missed opportunity in that sense. Now, that's one side of the SEC. Let's go to the SEC East. Because this is a game with a ton of juice. Ton of juice. You just heard my knuckles crack if you're listening on podcast or maybe on YouTube. I hope the mic picked that up. That's how fired up we are for this game. It's knuckle-cracking kind of game. 7 Eastern, ESPN, Kentucky at Georgia the line is 14 and a half don't worry about that line too much it was a lot higher at the beginning of the season I think this thing opened right around a three touchdown for uh, a three touchdown favorite for Georgia Georgia now they're, they're on the march they looked pretty mortal last week against Auburn now there's two ways to look at last week if you're a Georgia fan one hey Auburn took advantage of some things what are we if we're Georgia are we as good as we thought we were are we is this thing going to take shape soon? Is last year's Georgia this year's Georgia? Well, no, last year's Georgia isn't this year's Georgia, just by definition of it being two different teams. So we understand that. But the concern is, hey, Auburn in their first year with a quarterback and a passing game that threw for less than 100 yards gave us some issues and it came down to the final drive. That's the concern level. On the opposite side of things, you can say, well, hey, Carson Beck, man, Brock Bowers, that offense, they answered the call to action. This team has a tremendous response mechanism, and they found a way in a rivalry setting in a road game to get it done. They're not what they are yet. That's fine. They're going to be a different team in November. We're not worried about that just yet. I think that's how you would like to gauge this if you're a Georgia fan, but this game will tell us a lot because you got Kentucky coming to town. And Kentucky, man, they looked, they looked so good last week. Like, I, I sat right here probably right around this time last week. And told you, hey, I think Florida's going to beat Kentucky. I think Florida will run the football. 
think they'll play tough defense. Statement win for Billy Napier. Uh, we were, in fact, very wrong on that game. <laughs> if, you, if you watched this game, it became very evident early who the bully was in Lexington, Kentucky, and it was the team coached by Mark Stoops, and that was wearing all blue head to toe, and they looked sick doing it. Hope they go icy whites this week. We'll see. Regardless, this is a tremendous opportunity for Kentucky. If you take down Georgia, how are we talking about Kentucky? Like, it's crazy to say, but at this point in time, if they beat Georgia, if we get to this point next week and we're like, hey, Georgia took down, or Kentucky took down Georgia in Athens, like, I think we're talking about Kentucky being in that playoff conversation. And it sounds wild coming out of my mouth, even saying Kentucky as a playoff contender, but like, that would be a world I think we have to consider Kentucky in if they beat Georgia. Very large if. We're going to break it down right now. Again, 14 and a half point dog is Kentucky, but we'll see. We'll see. That's why they play the games. Big question this game for me, Georgia fitting the run game correctly of Kentucky. And that sounds simple on the surface, but when you watch Kentucky and what they did last week, I mean, it was a clinic in how to pull offensive linemen. And I don't mean pull them from the game. I mean, pull from one side of the line of scrimmage, run all the way around and go fill up on a linebacker or a safety, whoever it was. They did that till, it, till their heart was content. That's an attitude thing. That's a physicality thing. That's an identity thing. And that's why Ray Davis went for almost 300 yards rushing. Because Florida, God bless them, they could not fit that to save their life. And when they fit it correctly, they did not have the physicality to match it. Now, Georgia, I think they are going to have the physicality to match it, but they can't bring that same physicality they had against Auburn. Because Auburn went for over 200 yards. Now, it looked different. It was more quarterback design runs. It was more read option, which, to be fair, is more difficult to defend than just a typical downhill run because you have more blockers baked into that and you have some more responsibilities as a second level of the defense. But what I'm trying to say is if Kentucky's able to get the ground game going a little bit, if Georgia can't fit this correctly, there will be chunk plays like we saw Auburn get against Georgia and like Kentucky got against Florida. Then they kind of start to impose their will. The second part of this, if you don't fit it correctly, well, then you start to have to address in other ways. Then you probably have to find some way to circumnavigate your issues in this, you know, run fittage, if you will. And then some games in the past game open up for Kentucky. Then maybe you have to bring some more resources down if you're Georgia. And then you leave Barry and Brown open. Then you leave Tavian Robinson open. Then you leave Dan Key open. Like that was kind of the narrative going into the season for Kentucky was, Hey, we got guys on the outside that can eat now. We got Devin Leary that can throw the ball. Like, we're going to be okay in the pass game. Can we run the football? And then you flip that conversation on its head right now with how Kentucky is able to run the football so effectively, and you're waiting for Devin Leary to really get it rolling. So the, the thing I think within that, if you're able to run the football if you're Kentucky, big plays in the pass game I think will be there. Now, you still have to hit on them. has to be there if you're Kentucky, but... It's a reality I think you would like to live in and at least like to have a chance to swing that bat a little bit if you were Liam Cohen in that offense. Now, if you do fit it correctly if you're Georgia, if you just do what we expect Georgia to do and play really good defensive football, much like they didn't do last week against Auburn and they kind of find themselves a little bit, I say, well, they, they played really well in the second half. We're, we're being a little bit harsh on Georgia there. If Georgia rises to the occasion and plays the level of football we expect them to play, they take away the fastball for Kentucky, and you force Devin Leary to be consistent. He hasn't been that this year for Kentucky. He's right around 58% completion percentage. Now, Kentucky hasn't really needed him to throw the football a whole lot based on who they've played, 
but we understand they need him to start cooking and you, you haven't seen him be consistent just yet and if Georgia could put the game on him I think you'd like to live that way to be honest with you a subplot within that you get to rush the passer right if you're if you take away the run game for Kentucky probably goes without saying you're living in third and seven or longer and Georgia gets to go eat you don't want to let this Georgia defensive line just pin their ears back and go eat not a way you want to live I think for Georgia going back to this I think it requires that hard hat lunch pail kind of mentality if they want to stop the run because Kentucky will force the issue I promise you they will force the issue and they played Georgia really tough last year toughest game Georgia had very quietly was when Georgia went to Lexington and played them in a muddy rainy day weird game they gave them their best game last year so they'll need to make sure they bring that kind of juice now offensively for Georgia and this is the situation for Kentucky that I think is going to be an issue Brock Bowers and the matchup versus Kentucky schematically like Kentucky's defensive coordinator Brad White and a Mark Stoops defense you got to have some kind of answer for Brock Bowers because this was the backbreaker for Auburn last week it just was there's no way around it like this was ultimately what ended up being the death of them was Brock Bowers going for like eight catches over 150 yards and a game-winning touchdown Auburn played them pretty well for the most part they did a pretty good job against the run for Georgia but Brock Bowers was the difference and Brock Bowers didn't have a crazy stat line in this game a season ago I think he actually was limited pretty well by this defense but let's not pretend that they're not going to try and feed him is this Georgia offense let's not pretend that it's a a quarterback of Stetson Bennett's experience level I think Carson Beck will look for Brock Bowers early and often I think that this offense will scheme up winners for Brock Bowers early and often and I think Kentucky's going to have to deal with it and so this is kind of a this is the luxury of sitting right here behind the mic we get to say hey Kentucky you got to stop Brock Bowers good luck we don't actually have to do anything about it (laughs) right like we don't actually have a game plan in place to stop Brock Bowers do you bracket him meaning like you you play a, a zone around him essentially and try and make sure you have him bracketed is the name of the coverage do you double cover him do you assign a certain defender to him every single play like I don't know how you do it but you have to have answers and you can't have him be the deal where it's just game over Brock Bowers took over now easier said than done obviously but I think that's a very big part of it for Kentucky though I don't know that it's really about stopping him I don't know if that's realistic I think there's a very real case for Brock Bowers to be the best player in the country regardless of position I think ultimately going back to what I said it really is just about managing him can you just make it a game where Brock Bowers has five catches for 60 yards maybe he gets in the end zone once but he doesn't just end your whole day like he did against Auburn because if you can do that you can kind of take him away just a little bit or manage him just a little bit then the game goes more on Carson Beck and Carson Beck has played well to this point I thought he he played great last week against Auburn even with that one interception but his safety blanket is Brock Bowers what does he do if he doesn't have the luxury of going to him as frequently as he wants to what does that look like because I think Kentucky obviously will have to stop the run as well it's a whole thing that goes without saying in this football game they did not stop the run well last season we'll talk more about that here in just a little bit but as a whole as much as you can put the game into Carson Beck's hands if you're Kentucky you got to live that way put it on Carson Beck manage Brock Bowers make them beat you some other way that has to be the way Kentucky lives now I think another thing that goes into this game that's going to be fascinating is the Georgia secondary against Kentucky's playmakers because we saw the Georgia secondary 
having issues is maybe not the right way to say it, but there was an acclimation period early in the game against South Carolina where South Carolina didn't have a great offensive line, still don't have a great offensive line. They put the ball in space early to guys like Juice Wells, to Xavier Leggett, and they had some success with that. I think you have a Kentucky wide receiver room that has, I think, as many weapons, if not more weapons, that give you issues than South Carolina had. I don't know if they're the same caliber of Xavier Leggett, who was like leading the country in receiving going into this past week, or Juice Wells, even when he was dinged up. But you have some guys that if you don't play fundamentally sound, if you don't rally to the football, if you don't tackle in space, they're going to get theirs. Like, they're guys that can absolutely hurt you. Barry and Brown, I think, is yet to really erupt. This might be the game where he's going to do it. If you're a Kentucky fan, you hope and pray this is the game where he does it. But they're all really good once they catch the football. It's not just a bunch of possession receivers. So I, I would expect Liam Cohen to try and get Devin Leary going a little bit with some quick game, with some bubble screens, with some tunnel screens, and get those elephants on parade on the offensive line and let them go try and block defensive backs. Like, I think you're pretty okay doing that if you're Kentucky. How does the Georgia secondary handle that? If they're able to snuff that out, then you take away the opportunity for Devin Leary to get in rhythm with those intermediate throws and those easy throws, and you force it back on him again to be consistent. It all goes back to Georgia. Can you force the game on Devin Leary and force him to be the one that beats you? I think that's what has to happen in this football game. Now, it comes down to this for me. When Georgia has the ball, is Kentucky able to win the line of scrimmage enough on first and second down? Not win the line of scrimmage, not win the majority of the snaps. I mean, first and second down. Going back to what we said about Carson Beck, can you force him to throw the football to beat you? And this is a risky game to play because I do think Carson Beck has the ability to beat Kentucky through the air. But like at the end of the day, you just can't have what happened last year to you. You, you can't let Georgia run for over 200 yards. In this game, Deion Walker, maybe potentially the most important player for Kentucky, six foot six, 348 defensive lineman. He wears number zero and looks sick wearing number zero, to be real with y'all. If he can be the anchor and he can take on a double team and somebody else gets the running back and they're living in third and six even, you'll live with that. You'll live with that. you say, okay, third and seven, third and six. If we can get to that down in distance, let the chips fall where they may. But again, Deion Walker and the run game for Georgia is going to be crucial to be able to kind of have a physicality element about them. And Deion Walker stopping that is going to be the big, uh, the, the big old physical element for Kentucky in that sense. So at the end of the day, as good as Kentucky is in my mind, as physical as they are, as they are up front, I think this is the game where Carson Beck rises to the occasion yet again. I think what he did in the second half against Auburn is a confidence builder for him. I think he's continuing to stretch the ball downfield. I also think that Georgia has some more weapons that haven't yet stepped up to the degree that they're capable of just yet. So I think that Georgia is able to have the pass game there. And I think that the, the physical piece defensively for them feels challenged from what happened against Auburn last week. They kind of had a get right moment in my mind having over 200 yards run against them. I think Georgia wins this football game. I think Kentucky does battle. I think that they are every bit as advertised. I think the final score is Georgia 34, Kentucky 24 in Athens. So Georgia just continues to march, continues to trend upward. And Georgia, if you win that football game, like we're expecting you and picking you to win that football game, like let's not have a conversation here on Sunday morning where, where it's like, hey, Georgia fans, don't worry. Calm down. Georgia's okay. Like Georgia beating Kentucky, they... 
that they're a good football team is Kentucky. Like that, that is a defensive unit and an offensive unit, especially on the line of scrimmage, that's going to give you fits if you don't bring your hard hat and lunch pail. If you don't have some, you know, some sweat in your socks or a little bit of a bad attitude when you wake up in the morning, like they're going to give you issues. But I, again, I think Georgia answers the call. I think the Kirby smart way of doing things is enough. And I think Georgia wins that football game. But we're going to learn a lot about both teams. Going to learn a lot about the SEC East even in that football game. I love it. Beautiful thing that is week six of the college football season. We got one more prediction to get to here right quick. But for those of y'all that are tuned in, go ahead and like the video. We appreciate y'all. The, the streak of over 100 likes once we get off the air is still rolling right along. So big thank you to y'all. If you could subscribe to the channel, be an enormous help as we are just throttling right along through college football season. We've had a ton of y'all that have joined the program already. And if you haven't yet, no time like the present. Would love to have y'all subscribed and dialed in for the rest of the season here. About to hit the second half of the season, man. So sad. So sad. So we got one more prediction. And uh, I also want to tell y'all about our trip to Knoxville in a second. So as we're doing those, I want y'all to get in the live chat. Hit us with your questions. If you're new here, that's kind of a thing we do if you're tuned into the live show on YouTube. Take your questions in real time. Nick Brake jumps on here, and we have a good old time. So make sure to dial in and uh, get those in right now so we can answer those in an expedient fashion for you. Thank you in advance. All right, last prediction to break down here. Notre Dame, six-and-a-half-point favorite at Louisville, 7.30 Eastern. ABC, we said at the top of the show, man, but God bless Notre Dame now. They just have been... They've had zero breaks have the Fighting Irish. And I don't mean breaks in the sense of things going their way. I mean breaks in the sense of week after week, it is a formidable opponent after formidable opponent. Their college football playoff hopes are very much still intact in my mind. Do they need some help? Maybe, but this game could be what helps them. Louisville is ranked. So to recap it, Notre Dame played Ohio State, lost on the final play. Just emotionally draining game. You play Duke the next week at Duke. College game days there. Ken Jong's picking games. It's electric. Probably the biggest game in Duke football history, or at least of the modern era under Mike Elko. Okay? So you had that on your plate. That one more or less came down to the final play with Riley Leonard, who also, by the way, is probably going to be an NFL quarterback here and picked pretty high in the NFL draft, according to people that know about the NFL draft. So that's that. It's been a gauntlet for them. This is going to be a tough task going on the road, but in some ways it's a blessing in disguise in the sense that you have a ranked opponent here. So you're looking at that resume for Notre Dame. If you, I mean, you beat Duke last week. If you win this game, another ranked win on the docket, you still got USC, you still got Clemson, you're rooting for both those teams to kind of trend the right way so they're as highly ranked as possible when you get them. So you can help your college football playoff chances, but I'm just saying, they have, they've been through the gauntlet. This is another game for them to try and make a case for their college football playoff hopes. Now for Louisville, talked about Oklahoma being very quietly ranked. How about the Brom squad, man? They're undefeated as well. And if you want to make a statement, if you're Louisville, I got a good friend of mine that's a big fan of the program, that's a big fan of the cards. And Sam, if you're watching, shout out Sam. He's like, hey man, show some love to the cards, man. We're undefeated. The boys are rolling. Why don't you give some love to the boys in Louisville? And I'm like, hey, we, we, we got to see something that's statement worthy for us to talk about them. I'm make a statement. How about you go beat Notre Dame? Go beat one of the top teams in the country. Go beat a team with, I think, one of the top quarterbacks in the country that isn't getting enough love. Big statement game for Louisville if they can get it done at the crib, no less. You wonder if Jack Harlow's going to be there. I don't know. We'll see. 
Can the cards match the physicality of Notre Dame? It's a simple question. The answer may or may not be simple when it comes to Saturday night, but like Notre Dame's game plan isn't a secret, right? I mean, you, you could turn on Notre Dame for all of like 15 minutes and understand, oh, this team wants to bully you. <laughs> oh, they have Audric Estime, who is a grown man running the football. They want to get downhill. They want to play smash mouth football. They want to line up with double tight ends and just make you say uncle. It's easy to say that's what they're going to do. It's a whole nother thing to stop it. Because you got to have one, the want to, two, the stamina, and three, the physicality to actually do it from a personnel standpoint. So if they can't do it, like that's kind of the game right there, right? If you can't stop Notre Dame's plan A, what are we even talking about here? Notre Dame's going to roll. Now, if you can, if you can take away plan A, Sam Hartman is still something you have to deal with if you're Louisville, but you, you force it back to what we talk about a lot around here. Teams want to make these Notre Dame pass catchers prove they can beat them consistently. Okay, Jaden Greathouse, at the time of us being live, I don't know if he'll be playing in this game or not. I just haven't heard anything, to be honest with y'all. I know he tried to give it a go last week, wasn't able to. But the subplot, big subplot show for y'all during the prediction season, the subplot here is how do you deal with Mitchell Evans if you're Louisville? Because the thing now with Notre Dame that they've kind of started to show more and more the last couple of games when they line up with multiple tight ends on the field. As a defense, that screams, we're running the football at y'all. We got two more big boys out here. Along with our offensive line, we're running the football. Get ready. But when you have someone like Mitchell Evans, who can also be a tremendous threat in the pass game, he's all of like six foot five, 250, 260 pounds, well, then you can't just sell out to stop the run. Because if you do, Mitchell Evans is saying, hey, ball blazer, hey, I'm open. Put it up where the kids can't get it. I'm going to catch it. And like that was kind of what he was able to do these last couple of games against Ohio State and against Duke. He popped in a very real way. So for Louisville, it'll kind of be twofold of, okay, can you stop the run? Can you sell out to stop the run? Throw the kitchen sink at the boys, but also find a way to combat what they're going to do with Mitchell Evans in the pass game. Because I think that's the one that scares you the most. Yes, they've got some good receivers as well that you got to worry about, but Mitchell Evans is the one that I think could really be tricky to defend if you're Louisville. Now, the other question I have in this game is, can Jack Plummer and Louisville, can they put pressure on Notre Dame to score points? Because I think this Notre Dame offense has shown what they are on multiple occasions, and that's a really good offense, a really efficient offense with Sam Hartman playing quarterback. They're gritty. This team's got a tremendous response mechanism. We talk about a lot on this show, but I think at the same time, like for Louisville, this is the game where you empty the clip. If you got a trick play, run it. We got a personnel we haven't shown yet, put them out there. We got a deep pass play we haven't dialed up yet, uncork it. Like this is the game where you leave nothing in the chamber. And we haven't seen Notre Dame have to go into like legitimate chase mode. We've seen them have to play from behind. We've seen them have to find a way to scratch and claw and, and get back on top in a close football game. But we haven't seen it where it's like, hey, we're scoring 35. Are y'all? Also, by the way, we're scoring 35 and y'all have 21 right now. So can you play catch up? I think that they can, but if you're Louisville, you want to find out. You want to find out because this, this offense, not that it's not built to still match in that sense and go and score a lot of points, but they are more pro style. They are more, hey, we want to run and then throw. We, hey, we, we want to play smash mouth, hit the deep shot later. They're, they're not a team that's like, hey, spread it out, go five wide, and we'll throw it 60 times. That's not Notre Dame. And that's not a fault on Notre Dame. It's their identity. But I think for Louisville, like, hey, you want to make them try and get that engine to overheat offensively. You want to make them try and chase you. 
That's a big factor in this game. Now, Notre Dame defensively is going to be aggressive. Okay, I don't think they're Oklahoma-level aggressive with just dialing up blitzes left and right, but they are going to be a team that I think does put some pressure on you in that sense. And we talked about it with Oklahoma in our Oklahoma-Texas prediction. Like, it's a thing where being aggressive is only as effective as you're able to get home. Does that make sense? Like, if you're aggressive and you swing and miss... Duke did this a couple of times in their RPO stuff. Like they were able to take advantage of the Notre Dame pressure, get the ball out in space or let Riley Leonard pull it. And like good things were happening for them because they were sort of using the flow of the Notre Dame defense against them. Can Louisville do the same? They're going to have to. They're going to have to, to be able to put pressure on Notre Dame to score points. So we'll see. A lot of that does fall on Notre Dame playing assignment sound which is kind of going back to football 101 I don't want to get too remedial here when it comes to talking about you know the 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 basics of the game but we understand here that's a big big piece for Notre Dame to be able to play sound but also aggressive and if they're not sound Louisville's going to catch them end of the day man now I said at the top of this segment I think we got to ask this question right now the major question for me the emotional and competitive stamina of Notre Dame Notre Dame, on paper, should take care of business against Louisville. That's on paper. They play the game on grass or on turf. I believe no, I believe Louisville's on turf. So that's what it is. The, the two grueling games you've had to this point takes a lot out of you. And at some point in time, like you see the logo, you see it's Louisville. It's not the Duke team you played last week with the buzz of college game day. It's not Ohio State. Like, do we see a little bit of a letdown from Notre Dame? No one would blame them if they did, but you can't let down in this spot because I think Louisville has the roster and I think they have the personnel as a whole that could beat you if you don't bring it. It's not a secret. It's the way that college football works. That's why we watch every single Saturday because there's so much variance, but that's going to be the big question for me. Can they answer the call? Can they have the cool hand in this spot? Again, you're not at South Bend. You're on the road. Can you keep the competitive stamina, the emotional stamina to play your best in this spot? Because if you don't, things will get dicey. Things will get interesting very quickly. Now, my answer to that, in my mind, goes back to Sam Hartman and Marcus Freeman. If you've watched this show, you may even have this tattooed on you. Maybe you have a t-shirt with this. Teams take on the persona of their leadership. And leadership is your quarterback and your head coach. Both those individuals, probably as cool customers as it comes. Like those dudes, 4th and 16, nobody flinch. Sam Hartman, all good in the hood, first down. Run for 17 yards, throw his body forward, no panic. Let's get it done. Find a way to keep this thing rolling. I think how calm he is and how calm Marcus Freeman is kind of resets this team. I think they go into Louisville, and I think that the physicality of Notre Dame ends up being the difference yet again on the offensive line. Audric Estime runs the football. I don't think Louisville will be able to have the answer for that. And if they do try and have the answer for that, I think Notre Dame has enough weapons that are far along enough now in the season to go and make some plays and and to be comfortable doing it. Mitchell Evans, again, I think he will be a factor in this game yet again. And if they pay too much attention to him, then the outside receivers get to eat as well. So final score for me, 37 for the Irish, 21 for the Cards. Now for Notre Dame, maybe there's some early struggles in this one. Maybe they kind of find their footing a little bit later, and I mentioned kicking into overdrive in that second half. But for for Notre Dame, what do they get for beating Louisville? If they beat Louisville, regardless of what happens in this game, you got USC at the crib next week in South Bend. So 
The schedule does not get any easier. A lot of talk about Notre Dame not playing a conference title game. I understand it. I wish they did too. It'd be fun for us to watch Notre Dame on conference championship weekend if they were to end up in that kind of game. But even so, the schedule itself, if they keep on taking care of business and things line up the way that they could for Notre Dame, their college football playoff hopes are 1 million percent intact. Man, a lot of good games. is Is it the week four juice when it comes to the branding? No. No, it's not. LSU, Florida State, like we had in week one. But even to that point, man, like week six is still banging, dude. Week six is still phenomenal of the college football season. So don't let anybody tell you differently. Don't let anybody try and coerce you into having plans that's not watching college football this weekend. Friends don't really do that. So just go ahead and let let them know that we said that. Hey, if you want to tell me to do something else this weekend, you're not really my friend. Okay? Yeah, I'm sure that will go over really, really well. Appreciate y'all being dialed in, man. Live chat is popping as it always is on these wonderful things that is Prediction Tuesday. About to get to y'all's questions right now. Before we do that, though, we had a lot of y'all get, get at me on Twitter or X, at J.D. Pacquiao, and just say, J.D., how was Knoxville? J.D., that looked like an awesome atmosphere. It was, it was a you know crazy game in some points of that thing. Like, what was it like? So get in your questions right now. We'll answer those in just a few minutes. But I had to tell y'all, man, Knoxville lived up to all the hype and then some. Never been to Neyland Stadium. Never seen Tennessee play in person. And we went there for the atmosphere, for the night game. Blackout environment with the jerseys. Like, that place was rocking. Couple of takeaways. First, the volume was unreal. Like, like the buy-in from that crowd and the awareness from that crowd to say, okay, we got the ball. Everybody chill out. Okay, I think the scoreboard even said quiet offense at work. So, Hat tip Neyland Stadium in that sense. Uh, other part of that, Tennessee, when they were on defense, there was a couple of times where you could tell like South Carolina just had issues getting aligned. And again, that's credit to the to the student section, credit to the fan base and everyone that packed in the Neyland Stadium thing was going nuts. Like when I was tracking the football, walking up and down the sideline, I intentionally made sure I did it when it was during a quieter period during the the game or walking past the speaker so my eardrums didn't get blown out like it was all that and then some when it comes to atmosphere when it comes to environment when it comes to buy-in from that fan base it was tremendous Neyland Stadium dude so cool when they opened up the power tee that was unbelievable they ran through the tee when the fireworks going off the flyover like that was second to none Neyland Stadium like really really tall (laughs) and that sounds funny to say out loud but a lot of college football stadiums, like the Rose Bowl is this way, the Coliseum is this way. They build their stadium at like a slant, like a slope almost, so everyone can see accordingly. And it's like there's not really too many bad seats in the house. Neyland Stadium just said, forget all that. We're trying to make this thing as loud as possible. Build it up. And that was exactly the mission that was accomplished, is it was loud and it was tall and it was all that you could have bargained for. Uh, we talked about that game already, but Tennessee as a whole, I think more edgy this year. I still think South Carolina is pretty good. They just got one missing piece, which is pass protection. So you hope they can get that figured out. But tremendous game, tremendous atmosphere. Really cool, too, to see Knoxville. Knoxville was awesome. Like walking around that college town, just a a place that is definitely centered around Tennessee. I've I've been to a lot of college towns that aren't really college towns. Like I, I won't single any out for the sake of us probably going to some of them here in the near future. But Tennessee and Knoxville, like Knoxville, is centered around the balls, which I think is pretty cool and I appreciate and I think unique to our game. All right, so we loved our experience in Knoxville. We'll probably try and do a little bit more of that for y'all during 
those road trips we take. Got back here all nighter. All right, we drove back from Knoxville, got in here at 3 a.m. and just started our Sunday sprint. Why? Because y'all want content. You don't want to wait for your content on Sunday. You want to get it as soon as you wake up, as soon as you get back from church. So got back here, started scripting, started knocking out videos and made sure we had those for y'all. And uh, we appreciate y'all making that worthwhile. Because if, if, if y'all weren't tuned in, if y'all weren't consuming the content, we'd say, all right, hey, let's, let's go get a nap. Hey, let's, let's go sleep in a little bit. We'll, uh, we'll come back here at like 2.30 and start doing content. Y'all are phenomenal. And uh, there, was there was a demand, so we met with supply and uh, had an all-nighter here at the studio, and it was 110% worth it. So we appreciate y'all being dialed in and uh, making this all that and then some. So enough about me, enough about what we've done. Want to hear from y'all. To break it all down, y'all know the drill. Heavy lifter extraordinaire, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, baby? How we feeling? What's up, man? Had to make a uh, Q&A section because there are just so many you love comments to that, today, though. which is great. That is a good problem to have. Mm. Um, first question, we'll get to a few of these um, that we have time for. Uh, JD, what are your, what's your reaction? This is, excuse me, from Lee uh, to the Baylor-UCF game. Dude, crazy. Absolutely crazy. That was a game, too, where Baylor didn't look great early on. Dave Aranda, there's a lot of conversation around him. Is he the guy in Waco? And, like, I have my own opinions on that. Maybe that's another, another segment for another time. I think Baylor should keep Dave Aranda. I think there's probably some more to be unpacked there. But for them to have that kind of effort back against the wall, on the road, against a new Big 12 opponent, to get it in Orlando, like you can't say enough good things about the resilience of that team. And to pull it off in the fashion they did, in the spot they did after losing to Texas State early in the year and the close loss to Utah at home, like I think if you're a Baylor fan, you feel a lot more optimistic about what your team can do going forward. And I, I'm curious to see how that impacts the rest of their, of their season and the rest of their psyche because it's, it's tough to drop that first one to Texas State. It's tough to be in a dogfight and drop that one against Utah. Blake Shapin being back, I think he competed his tail off. So we'll see about the Bears now. I think the story is still very much unwritten. What you are in August and September is not what you are in October. And so I'm curious to see what we get from the Bears in October here, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next question. This is, this is one I did not really see anything about. Um, we've got a, a comment saying, what do you think about the ESPN analytics having OU winning at 54%? JD, did you know that? I saw something about that in the comment section as well. I haven't done too much research into that. I believe that there is like a, an FPI that ESPN factors in there when it comes to like how they, they do the, the breakdown of probability for games. Even so, like 54%. I'd be curious what goes into that 4%. I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, by nature of how we picked it, I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. I think the styles of it all can make for a lot of points. I think Dylan Gabriel is a steady hand, and he was not in this game last year. So last year's score, I think, is a little bit deceiving. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a tremendous game. I wouldn't read too much into the 54% either way. I probably trust that Vegas line just a little bit more because it is a neutral site, so you're not factoring in home field. But it is what it is, and they're going to play on Saturday. And... The best team, I think, is going to win on that day. And we're not going to define either team from it, but it's going to be, I think, very telling about what, uh, what to expect from the Big 12 Conference the rest of the way and what to expect from Texas and OU the rest of the way. 
Uh, JD, two more questions, but first I want to ask or answer this one. Jeff CCR, will it rain Saturday? Jeff, I don't know where you live. If you're talking Texas, Oklahoma, Man. do you know the, the forecast for that game? I have no gauge for that. I know it'll be crispy <laughs> in Nashville. Like a nice it will 60 be. 60 degrees. It will Nick, feel Nick break weather. It is my favorite kind of you weather. Know? That's fall season. Um, but, Jeff, I don't, I don't know if it's going to rain on Saturday. Um, JD, I've got to ask you this one. BG... What happens to OU if they are to get blown out by Texas? This is purely hypothetical, but what's next for Brent Venables in Oklahoma if they do? That's the one situation that would be a little bit troubling if you're an Oklahoma fan because the conversation coming out of last year's game was like, hey, 49-0, no way to put lipstick on a pig, but our quarterback didn't play. And Dylan Gabriel, like the most impactful piece, the catalyst to this offense. He didn't play last year. We had no offensive output. That's why we were running the Wildcat and drawing up trick plays in the Wildcat and having our tight end throw passes. Like, you know, you kind of do the palms up shrug. Like, I don't know. Shrugging emoji right there. That's the situation where it becomes a little bit more troubling because at that point, I think it would be a thing of, okay, this team wasn't ready to play. Like, I don't think Texas from a roster standpoint, should blow out Oklahoma. Now, if they do, they do, and more, more power to them. But I think Oklahoma, it would be a, a concern, I think, defensively because that was the issue last year was we're, we're not aligned correctly, we're missing tackles, like we just have our own issues, and that was what Brent Venables was hired for. I'd be concerned about how far along they are. And we said this in our video yesterday, Oklahoma's not a place where if you're a fan, you feel like you should have to really have this conversation around like, where are we in the build under Brent Venables? You have so many resources, you recruit well, you're in a pretty ideal spot when it comes to, you know, your proximity to Texas and being able to recruit the talent in that state. Like, that's paramount to it. I worry about the optics for them when it comes to recruiting going forward. And I think even more so, you worry about the optics when they move to the SEC. Like, if Texas is just blowing us out in a year where we feel like we've got some firepower and kind of got some juice, like, what went wrong to where we got blown out for the second year in a row? Not something really happens in Norman. I'd be surprised if it happened, but that's the one where we probably have to sit down the next day and, and dissect like, hey, why did this happen? What was the reasoning behind this? And how far off are we really if we're Oklahoma? Was it fluky? Was it we just didn't have a good day? Was it a, a real issue under the surface? Like what's, what's going on? Why are we getting blown out? That's the one scenario, Nick, that makes this conversation very, very interesting on, a, on Sunday morning. Yep. Um, so by the way, everyone... Um, if I didn't get your question today, come back tomorrow. Come back Thursday. Beautiful. Um, ask again. Uh, Jay Floyo 11 always asking about, would you fire Kelly? No. They want to fire. Why do they want to fire Brian Kelly, man? I, ha I have no idea. Defense is down bad. I understand. Yeah. Defense is I down bad. I get it. But, like, y'all just went to Atlanta in year one. Yeah. We talked about it going into the season two, Nick. Like, we, th I want to be careful how we say this. Because we didn't predict LSU to be a bad football team. I still don't think they are a bad football team. But if you're LSU, you won, I think, three games by one score. You were three and one in one score football games. Yeah. And so for that to translate year over year, that's, that's a tricky thing to gauge year over year. Like Just it doesn't Alabama. always translate. Like, you know, bounce the ball kind of game. Yeah. Ask Alabama last year. You know, you lose two games. Maybe you have one of the best teams in the country. You lose two games by what combined? Five, four points? Five Something points? crazy like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, could they have won that game against Ole Miss just by nature of the way that it played out? Yeah, it came down to the final play of the game. Yeah. But I understand the concern is defensively, what's going on there. 
they'll get it corrected. Brian yeah. Kelly, I think, is as sure a head coach as there is in the country in terms of yeah. what he does with a long runway. You got a long runway. Give it some time. Mm-hmm. I think you're in good shape. Sounds good, J.D. The, but the last question I do want to get to um, before I head out. David Knight, J.D., when defenses load the box with seven to eight players, what are your go-to plays? I have some in mind, but what do you think? Ooh, I like this. I like that. That's good stuff. Heck yeah. We'll, we'll break it down right now. But, Nick, appreciate you, brother. We'll see you again tomorrow. We'll get after it. But appreciate all you do, my man. Yep. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, like I said, if you didn't get your question asked today, come back tomorrow. Let's do it. Appreciate Nick Brake, keeper of the queue, producing the show, getting after the live chat, doing everything that you see here, man. Swiss Army knife when it comes to production, when it comes to content. So to answer that question, when defenses load the box, me personally, I like a lot of the RPO stuff. Like I was waiting for for Tennessee to do this a little bit against South Carolina, especially when they were in the the red zone area. Whenever you're able to to play with those linebackers and and. If you're loading the box to begin with, you're probably worried about the run game. And so when you're able to kind of give them a little carrot and dangle it in front of them, a little, little motion in the front in terms of like, you know, little uh, little mesh. And if that linebacker doesn't honor it, if he wants to come down and play really quick and, and try and trigger on that run game, you pull it out of the belly, nice little slant coming behind him. A lot of real estate to work with. All we got is the safety to beat if we win on the outside and we're, uh, we're wide open spaces like the country music song. So that's what we would draw up. But... Maybe there's more that we would unpack there. Probably some perimeter pass game too. There's a lot of lot of ways to slice it. A lot of ways to uh, to attack that kind of front, in my opinion. But regardless, hey, we appreciate y'all tuning in, man. We appreciate y'all making this show what it is. We appreciate y'all subscribing. We appreciate y'all liking. We appreciate y'all telling friends. Like y'all spreading the word is truthfully the most effective way to build this show. So tell a friend to tell a friend. Make sure they're dialed in. Hey, enjoy this. Enjoy this. I understand life is stressful. You got a lot of things going. You got a lot of issues that are just begging for your time and your attention. Just enjoy this. This is a great part of the year. Fall's kicking up. College football is tremendous. This is the best time of the year in college football as we start to get more and more of a gauge for what these conference races are going to be in the college football playoff race. Like, don't let the problems of the day steal, steal your joy of tomorrow and ultimately what we got going on, all right? It's a good life. Let's enjoy it. Hey, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. I'm Jody Pacal. We're going to keep this party rolling. We're back on the air tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. More predictions for you. More thoughts on the week to come. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. And we'll see y'all next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.